we will now be moving through to the gallery where we'll hear from uh, Raju and, uh, and Krishna. Um, I'm just going to give a slightly uh, more kind of longer introduction to, to Raju and Krishna before we move through. So uh, Raju Raj is an interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary artist who is proactive about using art, educa education and activism to forge creative survival. They primarily use their non-conforming body as a vehicle of embodied knowledge to bridge the gap between disconnected bodies, between theory and practice, to text and the body, and aesthetics and the political substance. They work in performance, sculpture, soundscapes and moving image, focusing on techniques of resistance and utilising everyday objects and everyday life experiences in communicating narratives around gender, race and culture. They investigate history, memory and trauma with an emphasis on colonial legacy, its continuation and impact on the body. So Raju will be joined by Trishna Shah, a contributor to the interview portion of the work. Trishna has been a roots reggae DJ and singer for over 15 years, building connections in the UK roots reggae sound system scene. She co-founded Uprising, a Cambridge-based promotions company who have organised events throughout the UK. She is a, she is a writer and contributor to Galdem magazine and is part of Off-Road Circus, an organisation that combines circus and social activism. So we'll maybe return to some of these questions later, but for now, if we can move through to the gallery. Uh, for Raju and Krishna. I've got Trishna here, who's also a participant in, in this work, which is um, titled The Undervalued Energetic Economy. Um, and... Yeah, it's a work in progress. Um, it's work that I started to develop while I was here um, at Wising on residency last year in March um, to May. So over that six to eight week period, I was um, at a point in my artistic career where I was doing a lot of performance-based work um, and wanting to not do that anymore. Um, and thinking a lot about the conditions of making work um, that I was under, my peers were, were under, um, um, mostly as, I guess, artists of colour um, within the UK context. Um, and trying to... So I used this period of residency to kind of really try and untangle this, but realising there was a huge entanglement with, with everything that I was experiencing um, in my kind of artistic career. And so, yeah, my background, I guess, was... Um, yeah, more kind of in self-organising and DIY culture um, in the early 2000s in London. Um, and I was involved, I guess, not by choice necessarily, but, um, yeah, just kind of dealing with everyday struggle, what that meant, um, getting involved with various activisms. Um, so, um, actually, I know Zinzi from back in those, those times as well, and that's how we met, yeah. actually. Um, so... Yeah, and then I had also um, got involved. Um, I'd been in art school and I'd studied in art school and with all the frustrations that you mentioned around Rashid Doreen and speaking about, um, and Nick was speaking about me and Cindy just turned to each other and we were like, nothing's changed. You know, so kind of the same concern. So I'm not going to go over those again, but just to say those are kind of reiterated of having that same experience of frustrations of, you know, why are we not being taught about this at school? Where are these histories? Where are the other artists like me? or in my specific case, finding artists that were other artists of colour but not necessarily trans or queer. Um, 
so yeah, just kind of that that struggle. Um, I also get, got involved in education work um, because I did at some point become quite politicised about these issues and speaking about them, and that kind of attracted institutions. Um, so institutions were interested in kind of me doing the diversity and inclusion work, and 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 that's something that a lot of us fall into. Um, so yeah, so I was just trying to kind of make sense of it all. So I kind of was at a point where I was like, let me kind of just kind of get to grips with this. Um, in the in the meantime, I'd set up an arts collective with um, uh, four. Well, it was just me and Evan Ifakoya, and then uh, Rudy um, Lowe and Raisa Kibir joined, and it was kind of an open group, and, and people came in and dropped out again as he participated as well, and many different people um, who were creative practitioners and, and artists um, and activists came to those spaces. So we created an arts collective to kind of um, to have space, to carve space where we could actually come together and discuss some of these issues, whether it was about ranting about them, whether it was about sharing resources, sharing each other's work, having a space to crit um, each other. Um, and so, yeah, so Collective Creativity, we kind of provided the space where we were having a lot of uh, roundtable conversation. Um, and, um, yeah, it was a really important moment because, and this started in, like, 2014. Um, it, it, it was a period where we started to then look at the Black Arts Movement and do a lot of, um, I would say, unarchiving of those archives. Um, so part of that involved having cross-generational, intergenerational conversation with some of those artists directly. So um, we were lucky, Sonia Boyce, Keith Piper, um, um, Lorena Himid was, was really influential. We had conversations with her. We went to the archive, the Making Visibles archive in, in Preston. Um, so we, we started to begin these conversations. So we were kind of unpacking, yeah, what happened in history, what, you know, what's happening now, how these things connect. I was trying to connect all these different areas of my life, which felt quite separated as well with, within activism, education, um, and, and artistic practice. Um, and so I developed this, this, this map while I was here to just kind of really try and untangle it and then realizing that it's a huge entanglement, actually. Um, so this is a work in pro progress. Um, some of these link, you know, there's other links to be made. There's other things to be added. There was, it was a series where, I don't know, were you there, did you, where we did a kitchen table conversation? No. Okay, so there was, there was another part of the process where we, where I kind of opened up to, to, to people to kind of, uh, well, in a kind of kitchen table setting where they had these placemats and they could add to it or change it or, you know. Um, but I realized that it's very much kind of a self-portrait in a sense of my, my world and, and me um, and my peers and, and what's around. Um, but part of that was, um, yeah, this kind of need to like, yeah, to question why we weren't coming up on this information in the archives, why it took so so much to find that information, the accessibility to, to, to get to institutional archives even. Um, so what I was thinking about in this project was to, to create a map, but also kind of a resource that will be a, a kind of on a digital platform um, that... You know, so for example, if you click on one of these these links, it kind of leads you to somewhere else or to somebody's work or to 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 theory or to you know, so it kind of becomes kind of an an, an alternative archive. Um, so I kind of started collecting and interviewing um, people who I thought were kind of um, yeah. You know, when I when I kind of made these things. I was like, oh, who can I speak to about 696 legislation? Who can I speak to about different aspects of this? Um, so I started to do these interviews, and I've, I've compiled four of them, and one of them was Trishna. 
um, here who uh, maybe you want to introduce yourself, but you were based, an artist based here in Cambridge, and I was here at, in the time. So I was in Cambridge, so it made sense to kind of mm. connect with you and, and, and find out what you were doing and how you were connecting um, art and activism. So maybe at this point, because otherwise <laughs> you won't get to say anything. Um, yeah, sure. So I, um, I guess the, the way we started the conversation was yeah. we were talking about music, and um, I grew up in a Gujarati family. Um, my mum always used to force us to go to bhajans on a Friday night, which I absolutely hated because all my mates were able to go out to normal stuff. We used to have to go to bhajans, but, but that was sort of started my journey into music. Um, I went to art school as well, but then I got pregnant and, um, you know, sort of, I don't find that much time now to do um, my art, but I guess I put more of my time into music. You know, being a mum, I think I have to focus on... Um, making money and stuff like that to, to buy things for the kids like Nike trainers which I recently <laughs> bought my daughter first like proper nice Nikes you've seen the video um, but yeah but it was nice to um, get, getting to know Rajul I think in our community art isn't something that's valued so you go and you say to your mum and dad oh, I want to go to art school you're talking about like uh, you know I think that's a nice hobby but actually you should um you should go and, and do maths or something. So seeing Rajul and what they were doing um, and how they were making all these links was really important, actually. I met you about, what, five years ago. Um, so I guess that sort of re-inspired me to get in touch with my art a little bit. And I know I dug out lots of my old paintings <coughs> and stuff, WhatsApping you photos and stuff like that, um, because I think that there's something about capitalism that takes me away from what I really want to be doing. So in a way, yeah, I understand this need to, to make money and have all the material stuff. Um, but at the same time, my heart isn't happy unless I'm doing stuff that, that makes me happy, which is why these are really beautiful. I don't know if you guys have read these lists. But it's just, you know, it's doing that stuff that um, is good for me and it's sort of good for humanity too because if I'm happy, I'm a good person and I do better things. And also my activism, the whole capitalism thing, job, all that, that takes me away from my activism too. But it's like it's this fine line um, and I'm quite happy sort of trying to dance it at the moment. So can you speak um, to like, yeah, what, what you've been doing in Cambridge, you've been kind of building um, this, this um, like music sound system um, group together and, and things like that in yeah. terms of like what you've had to experience and doing that here in Cambridge as well yeah okay so there was this collective called um, Cambridge Revelation it was mainly um, sort of a lot of Jamaican guys and a few other sort of white people and um, they were sort of very inclusive it was like a sound system collective they had a sound system and we were all DJs so it was quite I mean there was about 12, 15 DJs that was when I was on 34 so that was when I was 16, 17 um, and we had a pub we'd do a regular night, take the sound system in there we used to take the sound system at Strawberry Fair um, and that's how I got into I think I first started listening to Roots through that, I mean obviously I knew like Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and things like that um, and so what was nice about that was just a community of people of colour, really, a community of, I told you how some of the elders were really encouraging, like my friend Brody, who you met, he was like, go on, you know, buy tunes, go on, um, go and get on the mic and stuff when I was shy. So, so that was beautiful to have that, because growing up in Cambridge, it's not like growing up in London where you're surrounded by lots of people of colour, you are the odd one out at school, you're the one with the oil in your hair, or you're the one who's 
whose family is speaking mm. a weird language to you in the playground and it's embarrassing. Um, so actually to have that, that connection was important. And from that, um, an uprising came, which was just sort of jungle and, and reggae collective. Um, tonight we've got an event, um, so I'm not part of uprising. I just get paid to go and play there now. I don't really want to do any of the organising, but I don't know if any of you know Demolition Man, jungle artist. You do. <laughs> He's coming down tonight, so I'm playing there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the progression. And now I guess the time that I get away from the kids when I'm not at work, I'm focusing more on writing lyrics and making music. I was building my sound system. I was like, it's too much money. I can't put money into that. I'm mm-hmm. trying to focus on the music as a way of mm-hmm. expressing what I wanted to the youth. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Trishna's interview, I mean, goes into more background kind of, yeah, her history of of, of organising and creating, creating this, this um, space for yourself and, and how that also connects to the activism, because I know you also write mm. and you're part of activism. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So or why you came to that way, yeah. Yeah, I guess um, I've always sort of written poetry and, and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes issues just get to you. You know, you see stuff in society and it just gets to you. And um, that's how I started writing for Galdem mm-hmm. and contributing. It's a magazine... Um, it's an online magazine that's written all by women of colour, but it's for anyone. It's stuff that's relevant to, to everyone. Um, and I just get annoyed about things sometimes, and writing is a way to, you know, whether it's lyrics or an article, it's a way to express yeah. that, and hopefully that's going to be useful to someone. Um, yeah, great, thanks. Mm. So, yeah, so my interest in kind of interviewing you and interviewing some of the other people, there's writers, poets, um, musicians, artists... Uh, and some, uh, most, of, most of them connect with politics or activism in some way, but I am going to then move to kind of interview more activists, um, strict activist uh, um, participants as well. I guess was to kind of, to kind of give this some contextualization and, and some, and some yeah, embodied experience of like what, what these, these narratives are, um, but also to kind of bring, bring more nuance to them because it can be really simplified, like, you know, diversity, inclusion, um, decolonizing intersectionality but actually what does that mean in the kind of everyday living kind of practice um and so you know yeah there are some issues around cultural appropriation and what that means like just different nuances to what some of these are about and how they connect to each other um and my hope is to kind of build on that and i think um yeah i kind of set it up like a kitchen table because i come from i guess this legacy of like not having space, like this kind of closing of youth centres that we talked about, and 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 you know the squats, uh, squatting becoming illegal, that kind of got rid of a lot of spaces that I was involved in in the early 2000s in, in London Hackney, um, and rising rents and gentrification and so on has meant that a lot of us meet at kitchen table conversations and have done, and I've been involved in activism in, in Berlin as well, where that kind of happens there because it's also very, like this overt racism is still exists in Germany, which maybe doesn't exist in the same way here, um, but there's, you know, things, we talk about things not shifting, but actually, um, yeah, context, things have not shifted, but context have shifted, policy has shift, shifted, um, and there's still institutional racism, right? So a lot of us kind of, yeah, come together outside of, um, or find safer spaces like kitchen table conversations, um, and yeah, this is a space where we, we can kind of have these conversations 
um, debate, discuss, critique, um, and where knowledge is produced but isn't really recognised um, in the same way that this, you know, knowledges are recognised within institutions and how they're spoken about in conferences and in academia. And I guess it's also to kind of counteract how I see a lot of that becoming this discourse within kind of academia um, to kind of bring it back to the kitchen table. Um, and I'm also, I was trained as a chef and I also cook, and so that's part of my kind of everyday life as well. So, um, but yeah, a lot of kind of uh, current activist groups like Black Lives Matter, Sisters and so on, meet in kitchen table conversation, uh, kitchen tables, and not, we don't have uh, spaces. Um, we just have actually, a group of us have put together an application for Raven Row that's, I don't know if everyone's heard about Raven Row, but they're offering office space for a year. So, you know, so yeah, kind of thinking about how we, how we organize and um, share resources, produce knowledge, um, and really unpack these, these kind of, um, these conversations, these links. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's any more to say. Or no, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think that kind of brings us up to um, the break. And we yeah, can, um, brilliant. Come yeah. Back to some of these questions for open discussion at the end. Yeah, feel free to like come up to me and ask questions. And also, there's the, the interviews and the work here. There's other people's materials that I've also found inspiring that I've included. Um, but it's an exhaustive list. There's just so much. There's so much that isn't here um, that I'm aware of. But again, it's this. This will probably take me a lifetime to kind of make into a kind of a digital resource that I'm hoping to do. Thank you very much. Can yeah. the SoundCloud be accessed? Yes, outside. Uh, yeah. So and that's the idea that it will be able to be accessible. And also, the idea is also that I want to I want to keep, make it kind of an open source project so that other people can contribute because there's always going to be things that are missing and lacking and, and other perspectives as well.